Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. You where I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 61 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Con Wiley. And today's episode is on the psychology of religion Religion with Jeff Pence. This is an absolutely great episode. I absolutely loved this um, interview and oh, we, t- we talk about so much like great stuff. So I'm really, really happy. And I just I want to thank you all for um, listening. Because it was only because of you that I actually managed to get to the interview. Yes, so like in like, today's episode, we talk about the psychology of religion. We talk about Kyle Young. We talk about so many great things. So this is a great interview. And I just like, love this like so much. So really, really thank you, all of you. Okay. And I just want to like quickly note that this is the second time that I'm like recording this because the first time it started recording, but then it didn't, which I thought was really weird. Okay. So we're uh, moving on to psychology news section. So moving from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And it's Friday the 13th of November 2020 as I record this. So here's the first one. Our brains have two distinct beauty centres. One for art and one for faces. Audrey Hepburn's face in Notre Dame's Cathedral in Paris. Dante Bustle dancing the role of Princess Aurora in A Sleeping Beauty and The Starry Night by Vincent Nengoff. All of these things and more are widely regarded as looking beautiful. Do we have then a beauty centre in the brain that responds to something that we find visually beautiful, no matter what it is? For almost two decades, psychologists and neuroscientists have been exploring this question without reaching a consensus. Now, a new meta-analysis of existing functional MRI um, studies on more than a thousand people conclude that no, our brains don't have one beauty centre, but two. So this I think is really interesting because, because it's like quite a popular idea that all behaviours are like um, localised in like the brain, meaning that one brain region is responsible for like all of it, like for example the visual cortex in the back of the brain in a charge of our vision and then you've got the frontal lobe which is in charge of or associated with I should say judgement, reasoning etc etc but then we also know that tons of stuff isn't actually um, localised. I think that the idea of a of a beauty centers is really interesting so another one is being more authentic on social media could improve your well-being it's somewhat of a truthism that you shouldn't believe everything you see on a social media where someone's life looks perfect we're often reminded there are probably a handful of problems silently situated away from a camera nobody's life is as shiny flawless and infallible as it might appear in the carefully curated feed but presenting ourselves more authentically on social media ditching those things we want to believe are true in a favor of those that are could be good for our mental health according to a new paper so this there's not a lot to say on this but i just want to encourage you please Live authentically, enjoy yourself, uh, um, be authentic on like social media, and your well-being should like improve, and it just be like good life for everyone. Because let's face it, a lot of social media is a bit fake. It's just nah. <laughs> yeah, nobody's perfect. <laughs> so the last one I wanted to mention is uh, the editor's pick. These violent delights don't have uh, violent ends. A study finds no link between violent video games and teen aggression. Claims that violent video games lead to aggression have been around since the day of our space invaders. Yes, I have no idea what that is. Far as I'm concerned, that might have been the first um, video game, but I don't know. 
So when young people are exposed to violent media, the fear goes their aggressive thoughts become more prominent, leading them to commit acts of violence. But while several studies have found that results that seem to back up this idea, the evidence is far from conclusive. And in 2019, a study published in Royal Society Open Science failed to find any association between the time spent playing online video games and aggressive behaviour, adding to a growing body of literature that suggests that such a link has been overstated or may not even exist. And to this I completely agree with it because I spoke about this in my forensic psychology book and I've never seen any proper evidence and, and this I firmly believe has just been overstated overstated by people being too concerned when well, when there's nothing to actually be like concerned about. So it's just something to think about. So I hope you've enjoyed the psychology news section. So let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the personal update. So this yes, like this week it's been great at um, university. I had this really quite well interesting um, <laughs> interesting I'm gonna say child development lecture on like language theories and some of them have been some of them are quite interesting, I'll let's say, and I think they'd be quite good to echo in my developmental um psychology books. Uh, to be honest, I really, really wanna keep this personal update short because I really want you to like get onto the interview because it's great because I had the interview like last night and Joanna's such a kind, she's such a kind person, she's a great um, writer and it was just such a nice conversation and yeah but this is a like great interview. I actually learned like um, quite a bit and I'm actually looking like for like Carl Young books because as you're going to hear like in at the interview he did a lot of like interesting work and I just think that is great and you get to learn a bit more about my like fiction side so I don't know it's such a great interview. I really don't want to keep um talking like really because I because simply because you are going to get so much out of this. Plus, I would just say the next podcast episode should sound a bit different. Because over the weekend, I should be building my new audio brief. I'm so excited about it. And to be honest, I really need because my current setup is slightly um falling apart. I opened it up today and it was um slightly falling apart so i hope like proper stuff uh, yeah so if you want to see the uh, pictures of uh, you know the pictures which should be up by the time this uh, podcast goes out yeah but, like then uh, please uh, go to at sci-fi whitely on twitter and as always like you can always like contact me by emailing me conwhitely at conwhitely.net you can always leave a comment on the show notes at conwhitely.net and you can always tweet me on twitter at sci-fi whitely and uh, today's episode is uh, sponsored by my audiobooks so uh, my audiobooks are narrated by myself so if you like the sound of my voice then you can get quite a few hours worth by like, listening to my audiobook my audiobooks are available for all major audiobook retailers like amazon kobo google play script and you can also get my audiobooks for free at your local library and i absolutely love audiobooks i love i I absolutely love recording them and as an audiobook listener like myself they are great uh, yeah but like they're great and the thing that i love about all about audiobooks is that you can like listen to them and do like anything and my audiobooks are no exception that's like if you're doing like the housework on your commute jogging exercising looking after kids then my audiobooks are really good and there's something like really easy to listen to yes like that's my audiobooks like if you just type in um connor whiteley on your audio book app then you should be able to find them right so like that's enough of the personal update right let's move on to the interview so excited you should love this 
Joanna Penn writes non-fiction for authors and is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling for author as a J.F. Penn. She's a podcaster and award-winning creative entrepreneur. She has a master's in theology from the University of Oxford, Mansfield College, and also a postgraduate diploma in psychology from the University of Auckland, which I think is a great bio. So, like, hi, Joanna, and I welcome her to the show. And like, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Connor. And this is a great topic. I love talking about psychology. And of course, we both write fiction. So uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, great. Like For people who like don't necessarily like um, know you, yeah, like, can you just like um, introduce it yourself and like how you go into like, um, psychology, please? Yeah, sure. So uh, I write under two names, Joanna Penn uh, as nonfiction, and I write as J.F. Penn. I write thrillers and dark fantasy. Uh, but before that, I used to work in the corporate world. I used to implement accounts payable into large corporates. And so that was my sort of my day job for many years. But uh, taking it back even further, as you said, I, I did a degree in theology at Oxford and I specialised in the psychology of religion. And in fact, even and it's kind of funny because I go back even before before that was when I did psychology A-level. Of course, we're here oh. in the UK. We do A-levels, which is between the ages of 16 and 18. And uh, I did psychology and I still remember my teacher, Anthony, and he was just fantastic. I loved the course and I've always read books about psychology. You know, it's the study of mind and behaviour, as you know, and mm -hmm. the listeners know. And so I I mean, it's just crucial to our lives. So as time went on, you know, and I, I specialised in the psychology of religion. And when I did my postgrad diploma in psychology in Auckland, I was going to go into clinical psychology. That was the goal. I was going oh. to get a job as a psychologist. I was like ready to retrain <laughs> because I just loved the study. And I see, you know, you've looked at abnormal psychology on your podcast and I was fascinated by brain injuries and the kind of weird stuff that can happen and <laughs> it was all just so interesting but when I looked at the reality of the job um, the job of a clinical psychologist mainly in New Zealand which is a very small population the work was either depression and anxiety that's pretty much bread and butter for <laughs> clinical psychology uh, or working in the prison system and th those were like the main jobs so I was like okay I don't really want to do either of those things but I love the study and so I've kept up my interest in psychology with reading listening to audiobooks and of course including it in my fiction because in my um, arcane series my main character Morgan Sierra is in fact a psychologist ex-military psychologist so uh, yeah that's that's kind of how I got into it and I'm it's definitely a topic I'm fascinated with and still read about all the time. Yeah, well, like, that's like um brilliant because I had like um no idea that you wanted to be a like clinical um psychologist. Yes, that's really like good. So, yeah, but like, why do you use um psychology like in your um fiction? What makes you want to like um add it in? Because sometimes I think about that I would like to, but I'm yeah, but sometimes I'm thinking, well, what if I like get it wrong or something like that? Yeah, well, I think for me, writing fiction is about writing what you're interested in. Like some people say, write what you know, but you and I, like I've had a look at some <laughs> of your books. I mean, we don't write what we know. You know, I don't go, I'm not an ex-Israeli military psychologist, you know, going around with a gun. You're not, uh, you know, off, you have a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, don't you? And, and we make yeah. things up. That's what we do. But writing fiction to me I love the research and turning that research into a story and being curious and following your interests and it's right 
all the things that you might love to read about, you can also write about. Now, I know because you're studying psychology, the things that you study for a degree exam, for example, or a job, that might not be quite the fringes of psychology that I'm interested in. <laughs> so when I um when I when I started with Morgan Sierra, uh, she she was at the University of Oxford as well. So I used a lot of my background there and the places uh, that she goes. So she has a, a mentor who's at Blackfriars, which uh, her mentor is a monk. And I actually had a monk who was one of my tutors. So you can put real things into fiction but equally, you're going to be fictionalizing that. So I think I use it because I want to continue my research. And there are some things I'm so fascinated in with, and we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. But equally, I I want to twist that into a story somehow. And so I think your concern that you might not have it correct is there is a big difference between a non-fiction psychology textbook and I know you sure. you have that kind of writing uh, but also a story where you can use concepts but you don't have to be exactly right because nobody's using your work as a textbook I mean obviously if you're yeah. referring to people and places and ideas then you can you can easily kind of credit those ideas within your text um, you know one of your characters does some research and comes up with it but I really like using it because it sparks my imagination into stories. Okay and that's really like good like a point and like in like a fiction though what I definitely prefer just to like blow things up and just like travel the galaxy and just like um, kill things. <laughs> basically. <laughs> Which you can't do in your psychology uh, textbook. And in fact, it is interesting because we, you know, as writers of more, um, I guess, thrilling uh, books, <laughs> having, and I blow up a lot of people and I have, you know, sort of uh, mass extinction events and things like that. And it's, Yeah, quite it, you know, dark stuff. Yeah, dark stuff that might be considered by some in the psychology world to be on the end of, you know, the more negative side of, of personality <laughs> traits. And yeah, I think we would both say that writing our fiction and writing our stories almost helps it's almost therapy for getting out some of our darker ideas and then we can just be totally normal in our lives yeah definitely yes like um, my cryptobone is one of my like favorite books because i think it's the most like james bond's like uh, yes and in like writing into those stuff i listened to you say that it's based on your master's like dissertation which is the psychology of obedience why do people do things in like, the name of god uh, yes i like, can you just like tell us a bit right about that because i think it sounds really um interesting yeah sure so yes as you say i did my dissertation for my master's um and it was in 1997 so this was way before you know Know, people published dissertations or anything so uh, it's not like something people can find but it was based on again back in my A-level days uh, we learned about Milgram Stanley Milgram's shock experiment which so you just couldn't do it anymore because it's got so many ethical problems but basically <laughs> it basically was about obedience to authority figures so if people don't know that study essentially uh, there were people in white coats and this was not necessarily actual uh, doctors you know it might have been you, you know what psychology experiments are in universities right so you might yeah. have been the the guy with the clipboard wearing a white coat and then uh, volunteers 
came in and the person in the white coat which was a man and this was back in the 1960s so a man in a white coat tells the volunteer to shock someone in another room when they get the questions wrong so they can't see this person but they talk to them they know they're a real person this is not fake you know this is before the way before the internet so you know people were (laughs) believing that what they were doing was hurting another person and then as they got things wrong and of course the person on the other side was a plant (laughs) and they were getting things wrong and the volunteer would shock them and they would shock them all the way up to this danger of death mark on the dial and the person next door was screaming and and then at one point they went quiet and these the people who were doing the shocking were the obviously they're the ones in the experiment although they didn't know what it was really about someone in a white coat told them to do something so someone in authority said do this and they did it and I think why this was so shocking is because in this in the 1960s people were obviously still shocked and perhaps we still are (laughs) about the atrocities of the second world war so you know why did uh, millions of Jews and gypsies and gay people you know end up in the camps and why were they killed in such horrific ways And people said, oh, I was following orders. So I did things because someone in authority told me to. And this is something that goes across the whole world. And I think I was so affected by that study because I realised that I'm I'm a law abiding person. You know, we're recording this during lockdown in the UK and I'm obeying the rules. I'm doing the right thing. And if some, you know, someone in authority has told us to behave in a certain way, I mean, it's quite different to killing someone, <laughs> but yes. it is, it is uh, still this, there is an inbuilt uh, thing in our human brains that says if an authority figure says something, then do it. And so that was one thing. And then uh, also I worked out in the Middle East uh, before university and then also during and the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin by an Israeli extremist. Uh, so I, you're much younger than me. <laughs> but um, Yitzhak Rabin was the Israeli prime minister who shook hands with Yasser Arafat on the White House lawn uh, in 1993. And I used to work in the Middle East. I was campaigning for peace in the Middle East. And that was the most hopeful moment in the Middle East peace process. And it, it has never come back. And what happened soon after that is Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated by an Israeli extremist who said God told him to do it. And uh, and then I was also looking at the, the story of Abraham in the Bible, who goes to sacrifice his son because God says, go and sacrifice your son to me. And so Abraham does take him up to the top of the mountain and is holding a knife. You know, it ties his son down, holds a knife. And then only at the last minute does God provide a, a ram Um to sacrifice but you know it's kind of who knows what could have happened <laughs> so those are some of the the things around the milgram shock experiment and then i also combined that with uh, the god helmet so known as the god helmet another psychological okay. study by dr michael persinger or persinger where stimulation of the temporal lobe can make people see visions of god or the supernatural and many of the saints in inverted commas were, were kind of maybe had temporal lobe epilepsy so the whole uh, the story of crypt of bone obviously there's lots of great uh, bones and and ossuaries mm. and stuff like that but the ideas behind it all came from technology and what would happen if you combined a god helmet that could tell people to do things in the name of god and the idea of milgram so i'm really glad you like it 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I always thought that like, Crypto Bone was always a bit like, I don't know, but, like, a bit like far-fetched, like, because I always like wanted to know what, like, was that actually, yeah, well, like, could that actually, like, ever happen? I mean, because I know that the God's Helmet's, like, real. Wow, yeah, that's just really, like, um interesting. Um, Yeah, well, like, um, uh, thank you. That's right. And I always include a author's note in the back of all my books where I outline the research behind the story. So um, that's something that I suggest for for authors or for writers in general. I, I mean, I really I love that as a reader. I love reading the author's notes. In fact, if there isn't an author's note, I get quite upset. So that's something for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, I was like for you listening like to the audio books, which in your audio box I don't think there is the like author's notes. Uh, no, notes. that's a good point. I don't have them in the audio books for sure. Yeah, but I always like in the include the like author's notes, like in uh, my like fiction option uh, because of the uh, like um, my human vanity like, effect uh, because it gets people to know that you're like a like, real person. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, but then I was also like um re listening to like um a stone of fire and then like one of our emails were like you were, like when it's like talk about the like read a book what you like um is that? Yes, Sorry. so uh Carl Jung basically he he wrote a lot of books, <laughs> but the red book was essentially Carl Jung's sort of breakdown and it was closed uh, it was private as a private book owned by his family his estate and of course he was a fa very famous psychologist people should know that uh, but essentially he, the red book was opened to the public and first published in 2009 which is when I started writing my first novel Stone of Fire and I actually have a copy myself I bought one of the first oh. editions yeah it's, it's massive it's a it's okay. if you stretch out your arm it's about as lot it's about as big as your arm and it's this huge it's really heavy it's uh, and it's got full color uh, paintings full color copies of the painting so Jung um, painted these pictures and he wrote wow. a journal basically it's a beautiful book if you you know have a look online for Carl, Carl Jung's red book yeah and it, it's beautiful now in that book is a painting by Carl Jung of a pillar of fire spouting from this stone in a room and I incorporated that into my story also. Uh, and I always try and make everything as real as possible. Now, Carl Young did travel to North Africa, where I set some of the stuff, and also to North America and Clark University, where I did uh, set some of the book. And he also counseled the physicist Wolfgang Pauli on his dreams. And so, um, and in fact, Carl Jung's book, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, is probably the one that's most known to psychology students. It's, it's a, a good place to start. But I, I find I write, I use a lot of Carl Jung's ideas in my books, and, and many of us do without necessarily realizing it. So his idea of the Shadow is something I keep coming back to. So, you know, where there is light, there must also be a shadow. And by integrating that darker side into our lives, we can become whole. Whereas if we deny that darker side, we will never be a whole person. And also he wrote uh, books about spirituality and the occult. And he really blended the clinical side, his clinical practice, and uh, with the mystical side. And he also wrote a book on psychology and alchemy. Me. Uh, he was a, like a stonemason. He he had a tower at Bollingen in Switzerland, and he he made these kind of totemic objects, which he kept uh, in his uh, in his stone tower. And he was a um, disciple, I guess you could call it, of of uh, Sigmund Freud. But he split with Freud uh, over various ideas. But certainly, I find that Carl Jung's work. Um, 
if you're purely into clinical psychology, it's not so relevant. But if you accept that the study of mind and behavior also has to cover uh, religion, supernatural, occult, the darker side of humans, then you should definitely be reading Carl Jung. Okay then, yeah, definitely. I know that we were talking like before the like, interview where we like um, mentioned like Carl Jung. Yes, like the reason why I like never did it. Uh, yes, and like the reason why like quite a lot of the like listeners like probably like might not have like done it so well like, is that because I never did the like A levels at like school well, because I did the international like, baccalaureate. Yes, and like in that that's like we don't go into like the uh, the psycho like dynamic approach mm. approach which is a bit weird. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And I think it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's good to read around the things that you find fascinating. So what that's, what's nice about uh, psychology, obviously, there are so many kind of subsets of psychology that you can uh, become interested in. Uh, I would say that obviously, the world is quite different now to how it was during uh, Carl Jung's time, for example. And I'm not sure, I mean, there are people who are Jungian psychologists who follow that kind of way, but they they don't necessarily have a clinical practice, but a lot. I think a lot of people use it as part of um, their insight into the human condition. I think that would probably be the best way to put it. Okay, then. thank you. I'll definitely um, read up on that. Yeah, but like you also mentioned, like um, there is the uh, psychology and the like alchemy book. Yeah, well, like, tell us a bit more about like, that, please, because like alchemy. <laughs> yeah, because alchemy it does sound um, interesting. Yeah, actually, it's a really big book. He's he's an incredible writer, Carl Jung. And and of course, we're both writers. So it's important to, you know, he was so prolific, an incredible worker. And uh, yeah, so psychology and alchemy uh, is pretty dense, to be honest, I would say, (laughs) if you can read the crib notes, uh, it it is pretty (laughs) dense. But at the basic heart of it, alchemy is turning base metal into gold. But that you could see that as a chemist, as in, you know, doing some kind of chemical reaction but his study was more about what that means for human development so if you think that we are all base metal in that we are all we have our imperfections you know we have a character that might not be well formed we don't know you know obviously we don't know everything we might have uh, flaws that we can improve and then the process of alchemy is turning that into something precious and so the idea really is for all of us to look at what we have as as ourselves we you know we don't have any choice in who we are but what we can do is choose to improve ourselves and that's definitely the side of psychology where I'm interested now whereas I started out being interested in things like brain injury (laughs) I'm now really interested in how we can improve ourselves and turn ourselves from you know that base metal into something precious and that something precious might be you know, the, becoming the best psychologist we can be so we can help other people or becoming the best writer that we can be. And um, I've actually used some of these principles, some psychological principles, more positive psychology, probably in my book, The Successful Author Mindset, which is definitely about sort of facing up to the fears and the doubts and all the issues that we have uh, in our lives as writers and then how we can overcome them and integrate them into ourselves so that we can help other people and we can reach readers with our books and entertain people. So yeah, I think psychology and alchemy, I I wouldn't start there. If you've never read any Carl Jung, then definitely start with Memories, Dreams, Reflections, which is a bit lighter. And uh, then there's certainly a lot more. 
Okay, and that's actually a beautiful way to think of people. Yes, like, um, thank you for that. Yes, like, we're almost like um, out of time. Yes, and I could talk to you like um, all day. Yeah, but where can people find you and your books online? Sure. Well, for my fiction, I, I write as J.F. Penn and uh, my website is jfpen.com or my books are in all the usual places. And then my books for authors like The Successful Author Mindset, I write under Joanna Penn and my website is thecreativepen.com. And uh, like you, I have podcasts. I have The Creative Pen podcast, which is for writers. And my other podcast is called Books and Travel, uh, where I interview uh, authors about the places behind their books. So, yeah that's where you can find me yeah but i think that like joanna does it's absolutely like brilliant so i highly like recommend her so i really hope that you enjoyed the interview today i'm so glad that it happened joanna is a great person to talk to and and hopefully you got a lot like out of it. Like for example, like I really enjoyed the abysmal like Carl Young because I never did Carl Young like at like um, A levels, which as like Joanna said is UK uh, education thing like between like sixteen and like eighteen. I absolutely loved uh, like when Ashia spoke about the uh, like alchemy bit because I think that's such a great thing about uh, human behaviour and how we can grow and develop as a people. And also like her fiction is absolutely great. So. I completely in that Dorset. Please read it. It is a great. And actually, I'm going to be reading some of her fiction when I'm building my like soundboard. Because even though it's not like um, psychology like related, it actually does have a brand new audio book out called Map of Shadows. But but her fiction is a brilliant. So so I really hope that you in enjoyed it. Next week I will be back to the normal um, schedule. So have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. And if you want a free Ada book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.